Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kyle Hubbard. For more about this podcast and other resources, visit our website at www.riverinthehills.com. Well, the title of today's message is The Beatitudes. This is part two that I started last week with part one. If you need the notes, just have your hand up. So the Beatitudes part two, the subtitle is the essential, what are the Beatitudes? They are the essential virtues that guarantee us a blessed life. Saying it another way, these are the non-negotiable attitudes of the heart that will guarantee us a spiritually and naturally blessed life in the Lord. Who in here wants a blessed life? (laughs) Well, I believe we must fully embrace the eight Beatitudes in order to experience a blessed life. Embrace the eight. The Lord gave me that phrase. Embrace the eight Beatitudes for a fully abundant, blessed life in the Lord. So we're going to read Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12 where we get the eight Beatitudes from Jesus' lips. Jesus, seeing the multitudes, went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, that's why I'm seated right now, when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Y'all have come to church. You've come to hear the words of Jesus. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn over their own sin, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled and satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is, in that moment, the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, believer, when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven when that takes place. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So let's look at, last week we looked at the first three Beatitudes. If you want to hear that message, you can go on our podcast or YouTube or Spotify, River in the Hills, Sunday sermons, you can listen to that. So we're going to go to the fourth Beatitude right now. So what is this fourth Beatitude? It's blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled Now, what is hungering and thirsting for righteousness? What is this attitude or virtue of the heart that we can embrace and cultivate? What is this character trait of hunger? Well, I believe it's up on the screen. This is to daily and wholeheartedly seek to think. You can go to the uh, correct slide there. It should be slide number three. This is to daily and wholeheartedly seek to think, speak, and do the right thing in God's eyes. This is to hunger and thirst, to do, to think, and to say the right thing in every moment. And it's the right thing according to the Bible. Saying it another way, 
This is to fully cooperate with the Holy Spirit in his work of sanctification in our lives. What is sanctification? That's a fancy word that we would progressively look more and more like Jesus. That's being sanctified, being made more and more conformed into the image of Jesus. So when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, really all we're doing is cooperating with the work of the Holy Spirit to make us look more like Jesus each and every day. Now, how do we do this? We seek after righteousness first personally. We got to take care, put the oxygen mask on ourselves first before we pray for righteousness for others. So we seek it first personally. Then we seek it for the people that we are touching with our lives, for our family, like our natural family that we live with. We seek righteousness for them, and we pray for it, and we model it. And then we seek it for our church family. And then going beyond in the concentric circles of our lives, we pray for our region and our nation and our world, our globe at large, to experience the righteousness of Jesus. Now let's look at some reinforcing scriptures that back up this beatitude, this fourth beatitude, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I love Hebrews 11.6, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You can go back to that slide. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's what hungering and thirsting is. It's not just wanting God. It's diligently seeking him day in and day out with our entire, our whole heart. Well, we must believe that God will reward us. If we want righteousness, he's going to reward us with righteousness. It's that simple. These Beatitudes are so simple. Another reinforcing scripture, Matthew 7, 7. Ask for righteousness and it will be given to you. Seek for righteousness and you will find a greater level of righteousness and purity in your life if you seek after it. Knock on the door of righteousness, which I believe is the very heart of Jesus. Can you picture yourself knocking on the heart, the righteous heart of Jesus? Guess what? That door is going to be open to you, and you're going to experience more of his righteousness in your own heart. Proverbs 21, 21. It's so self-explanatory. It's matter of fact. It seems redundant. Look at this verse, Proverbs 21, 21. He who pursues righteousness and mercy will find life, righteousness, and honor. It's so simple. He who pursues or hungers and thirsts for righteousness will find righteousness. It's that simple. So what does this, what does this tell us? What is the promised blessing that is attached to this fourth virtue? With all of these eight Beatitudes, there's an attitude of the heart or a virtue, and then a promised blessing right after it. Well, it's, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's the promised blessing. We will be filled, or another word for filled is satisfied happy. <laughs> we shall be filled if we seek after righteousness. What are we filled with? Well, we saw it in the other verses, righteousness, a greater level of it experientially. Now, guys, this leads us to one of the most sobering realities of our free will as humans. You know what that is? Is that we will get what we want. We get what we want. I've experienced that in my life. Before Jesus and after Jesus, I've gotten what I've wanted. I wanted a jet ski in high school, and I worked hard, and I got it. I wanted a specific girl to date me, and I got it. But it wasn't good because it was BC. <laughs> then God had the right girl for me after. I actually sought him, and he showed me who to marry. <laughs> Guess what? We get what we want, good or bad. That is sobering. We get what we want as people, as humans, with a free will. 
we can get as much or as little of God as we desire. So, if God's righteousness isn't flowing and growing in our lives, it's because we haven't sought after it with enough intensity, with enough hunger and thirst, or we haven't sought after it with the right spirit, meaning we, we have sought after it according to works and not according to faith. We must seek after righteousness according to the grace of God and the faith of God, not trying to earn it like Paul did when he was Saul. When he became Paul, he understood it was grace and it was faith that gave him the righteousness and that ever-increasing measure of it. We get what we want. I love that. That means there's, there's no cap on what we can go and how far we can go in God. I love what they sing in the International House of Prayer. How far will you let me go into your heart? How abandoned will you let me be to be more like you each and every day? So what is this promised blessing? I see it as a green light. We all can picture a green light on the road. This is a green light from Jesus as he is endorsing diligence. He doesn't say it's legalism to go hard after him. He says it's love to go hard after him. It's not a religious spirit to want more and more of God's righteousness in our life. It's the right thing to do according to Jesus. He endorses diligence here and gives us the green light to press into him for a continual increase of the experiential righteousness of the life of God. We need to live with a lean to our spirit. Not settling, not coasting, not in neutral, but leaning. Guys, if we're not leaning into more and more of God, we will retreat. That's the flow of this life. It's a current going against us. We must lean to actually maintain the spiritual ground that we have taken and advance. If we're not advancing, we're actually going back. We're backsliding if we're not advancing. But he gives us the green light, and he makes it so simple. If you ask for righteousness, you're going to get it. <laughs> what is our job in this? Our job is so simple, and anyone can do it. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to have money. Anyone can be hungry. Anyone can be thirsty. Our newborn, or she's not newborn anymore. She just turned one. She's always hungry because she's growing. The fact that she's hungry is a sign of health and life. If you are not hungering and thirsting after more and more of the righteousness of God, it's a sign that you might be spiritually sick. Hunger and thirst is a sign of life and growth. So if you don't have it, guess what? You're not condemned. You can ask for it, and he will give it to you right now. <laughs> Our job is to stay hungry and thirsty and to never settle or coast or be in neutral until we come to one of the most amazing promises in the whole of the scriptures, until we come to the full measure of the stature of Christ or the stature of the righteousness, the level of righteousness of Jesus, that we would look exactly like Jesus, that we would be equally yoked to him as his bride, looking just like him. When the Father looks down from heaven, he sees the Son in his right hand, and he sees Matthew, and he sees no difference. That's a promise in the Bible, that we would come to the full measure of the stature of Christ. It's a staggering promise, but it's a promise I want to attain to as I keep pressing and pressing. Now, here's a, a seeming paradox, but there are many holy paradoxes or tensions in the Scripture. Here's the, the holy paradox. When we receive a measure 
of his righteous bread as we eat and hunger for it, we are simultaneously so satisfied. Who felt more satisfied singing to Jesus in worship than you did before 1030? I felt so satisfied. But guess what? It made me hungry for more. I didn't want worship to stop. Like we had to get on with the service, but I didn't want it to stop. I wanted more. <laughs> I want more. I was so satisfied. Like, Jesus, you're so beautiful and good, but I want more. I want to sing to you more. That's the holy paradox, and it keeps us leaning. It keeps us pressing. It keeps us hungering as healthy, spiritual sons and daughters of God. Amen? Well, I want to expand this promised blessing on the next slide. I want to expand this promised blessing past or more broadly than just righteousness alone, because I, I believe Jesus meant it with an, an entirely all-inclusive, expansive blessing. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled or satisfied with righteousness. Yes, that's true primarily. But beyond that, I believe that Jesus also meant that our entire lives, everything pertaining to us, Everything related to us would be satisfied and filled and provided for as we kept a lifestyle of diligently seeking more and more of his righteousness. Where do I get this from? Matthew 6, 33. Jesus says, seek or hunger and thirst. First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He brings out this fourth beatitude in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He could have said anything else, but he said his righteousness. If you seek after my kingdom and more and more of my righteousness, guess what? Everything in your life, every detail of your life, your car, your home, your relationships, your bank account, everything will be provided for. I'm going to take care of everything if you go after one thing. That is his kingdom and his righteousness. Peace will come in your heart, joy will come in your heart, and all the other details of your life will be taken care of. Isn't that amazing? He makes it so simple. Following God is not complicated. It's hard, but it's not complicated. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Every detail of your life will be taken care of. <laughs> Another reinforcing scripture to this broadening of the promise of the fourth beatitude, Psalm 8411, one of my favorites. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. What does walk uprightly sound like? Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Walking, pressing into more and more righteousness. Walking uprightly. No good thing will he withhold. God doesn't have a closed fist in heaven over the righteous soul. He's got an open hand to release more and more good things in your life. Every good thing, saying it another way, Psalm 84, Every good thing he will give to the one who seeks more and more to walk uprightly. So if we have righteousness, what's the conclusion to this fourth beatitude? If we have righteousness, we have everything we need. If we lack righteousness, we will be in lack of all things. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's go to the fifth beatitude. Y'all doing great? Good. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain or receive mercy. What is this? What is this attitude? What is this virtue? What does this character trait of the heart mean? Well, there's two angles to it, but before I talk about the two angles, think of the word merciful. It literally means 
full of mercy. This cup would be, if water was mercy here, it would be full, overflowing onto this podium. Is your life full of the water of mercy? Or are you lacking some? Well, he says, blessed are those who are full of mercy, for they themselves will obtain mercy from him and other people that he inspires to give you mercy. <laughs> so what are the two angles? The first angle of being full of mercy is that we are always open to help people in their time of need. Every time you feed a hungry person, you're extending the mercy of Jesus. <laughs> Every time you visit someone in the hospital, Sherry, you're extending the mercy of Jesus. You're full of mercy. Doesn't mean we do it 24-7, but we have an open sign on our heart to meet someone's need. We never, our open sign is never not lit up. That's being full of mercy. 24-7, at 3 a.m., someone can call us and say, I am sick, I feel like I'm dying, would you come pray for healing? And we would go do it. Do you see that? Having an open sign to help people in their time of need, that's being merciful from the first angle. The second angle is when we are so full of mercy that we spill over forgiveness. <laughs> As our default response, this is so key. I believe the Lord spoke this phrase to me. Default response is to extend forgiveness to people who have done us wrong or disappointed us. That's the second angle. Always ready to extend forgiveness, not holding grudges or bitterness or resentment. So this merciful heart, I saw this picture, will become a factory of second chances like an assembly line of second chances, second chances, second chances, second chances for anyone that does us wrong. Constantly producing, like an Amazon factory, constantly producing blank slates. You know what you produce in this factory, Ashton? Blank slates to give away to people who have sinned against you, who have done you wrong, who have disappointed you, who haven't fulfilled their responsibilities. You hand them a blank slate. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Love has a blank slate for everyone in their life. <laughs> my, wh where did I get this picture from, the blank slate? My sister had a prophetic vision for me. I'm not bragging on me, but I've, I've asked for mercy to fill my life. She had a prophetic picture. She said, Kyle, I see you giving out blank slates wherever you go. And God loves this that you do this. I'm like, that, that's a great picture for how I want my heart to be. It's not always like that. But I want it to always be open, a 24-7 factory of blank slates that we would give out to people. Meaning, I forgive you, and it's as if you've never done anything wrong to me. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. What are the reinforcing scriptures for this? Fifth beatitude. The first angle, when you're open to helping people, you have your open sign on <laughs> in their time of need. Jesus says, for I was hungry, and you fed me. That's mercy. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. That's mercy. I was a stranger, and you invited me in to your house to sleep there that night. That's mercy. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. That's mercy. I was sick, and you looked after me. That's mercy. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. That's so merciful. That's so the Lord. What's the second angle of reinforcing scripture? Proverbs 19.11. This is a wild verse, by the way. Proverbs 19.11. The glory of man is to overlook a transgression. <laughs> What's our glory as human beings is that we have the capacity to forgive and overlook people's transgressions. It's the 
opposite of having a critical spirit. Meaning you really only bring it up if it's super necessary and they really, really need to change if they've done it three, four, five times. But you overlook transgressions as long as it is appropriate by the Holy Spirit. Is that amazing? This is the opposite of having a critical spirit, fault finding. <laughs> the glory of human beings is that we have the capacity to forgive and overlook transgressions. So more reinforcing scriptures. What's the key to having a heart full of mercy? I believe it's to have the heart of Mary Magdalene. Everyone say Mary Magdalene. This heart is the key to having a heart full of forgiveness and mercy and blank slates. What did Jesus say about her? He said, therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, and her demons, which were many, seven strong demons, guess what? They're forgiven. And she realizes it. For she loved or extended mercy much. Forgiven much, loved much. Forgiven much, extend mercy much. Look what he says, though. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. The same extends mercy in a small amount. Now, this doesn't mean that because Mary Magdalene had such a wild past, that's why she was extending so much mercy. No, we all have a wild past in God's eyes. <laughs> we all have been forgiven of thousands and thousands of attitudes and actions and words. So the key is that we must see how much we've been forgiven. And when we see that, we'll be so much more likely to extend mercy to others. The problem is that we think we're not that bad, or we haven't been forgiven of that much. We think we're good. We're not good. <laughs> we need mercy every day. We're all Mary Magdalene. That's the key. You must see yourself as Mary Magdalene to have a heart full of mercy. I want this so true over my life. I've been forgiven of so much, and I must see it every day so I don't get prideful and haughty. So I can keep extending mercy, keep giving second and third and fourth chances. James 2.13, for judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Yikes. That's a big yikes. Judgment will be merciless without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. But to the one who has shown mercy, mercy will triumph over judgment in their life. <laughs> Mercy triumphs over judgment, meaning let's choose mercy 99 times out of 100. Or according to Jesus, let's choose mercy 490 times in a single day if we can. <laughs> 70 times 7, we must forgive our brother who has a repentant heart. Let's choose mercy 490 times out of 490 times on a single day. Wow. Micah seven eighteen. who is a God like you? who forgives wickedness and passes over the transgression of the remnant of his people. He does not retain or keep his anger forever, but he constantly delights in mercy. I believe that Hebrew word, the reason why there's constantly in there, it's from the Amplified, is it's a present progressive tense. I mean, it's always happening. He is always having a smile when he forgives people. Saying it another way, he's on the edge of his seat to extend with a happy heart forgiveness and mercy when we fall and when we mess up, when we stumble. He delights, he loves to forgive people, to give them a blank slate, and we should have that same heart. Amen? 
So what is the promised blessing attached to this virtue? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Again, as with all the Beatitudes, this is so simple. If we help others in their time of need, guess what? God is going to inspire other people to help us in our time of need. If we fully forgive others of their trespasses against us, we will be fully forgiven by God himself. This specific promise invites us into a holy attitude of sanctified selfishness. Sanctified selfishness is this beatitude and this promise. What does that mean? It means it's really enlightened self-interest for us to choose mercy at every possible situation. Why? Because we all would love to receive mercy and forgiveness when we ourselves mess up or are in a time of need, right? This is enlightened self-interest to extend forgiveness to others because we want to be forgiven. We don't want people mad at us and holding grudges against us. That's not a great way to live. So it's sanctified selfishness to extend mercy and to help people in time of need because guess what? We probably all will be in a great time of need, especially during the end-time crisis that is going to escalate and escalate and escalate until the return of Jesus. Let's help people now when it's relatively easy to help them because God will inspire and mark others to help us in our times of need. Amen? Jesus backs up his own words because there's never a contradiction with the heart of Jesus. <laughs> Matthew 7, 2. He says, to the measure, think of that tape measure, to the measure of mercy that you use or you extend or you dole out, to the measure of mercy that you dole out, it will be measured back to you. If you extend your tape measure of your heart completely to the very end and forgive everyone of anything and everything they've ever done against you, God will extend his tape measure to you to the full measure. You will be completely pure, completely clean in his eyes. We reap what we sow. We sow mercy, we reap mercy. We sow help, we reap help. Jesus raises the bar, takes it to another level in Matthew 6. He says, for if you forgive men their trespasses against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. He's saying the same thing that he's saying here. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. What does this raise this bar of this fifth beatitude to? I think it raises it to a non-negotiable issue. A salvation issue is forgiveness. Like we will not inherit the kingdom of God if we don't extend forgiveness and mercy to others. We won't make it to heaven if we're holding bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness in our heart. I heard a story of one time this lady, she stood before the Lord. She had a near-death experience and she stood before the Lord and the Lord was so angry at her unforgiveness gave her a second chance to go back. Her main message from her experience of heaven, of standing before the Lord, was forgive, 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 forgive. It's really not worth it to hold on forgiveness and to not extend mercy. This is a salvation, not optional issue to have a heart full of mercy. And it's enlightened self-interest. We get so benefited by this. <laughs> we get helped and we get forgiven by God and others. 
Yes, Candy's smiling because she lives this way. You live this way. You're so merciful because you and me, we know how much we've been forgiven. Amen? (laughs) All right. Let's go to the last one for today, the sixth beatitude. And guess what? This is my favorite beatitude. That'd be great. Thanks. All right. What is it? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. God's going to give you water in your time of need, Dad. (laughs) You gave me drink when I was thirsty. (laughs) That's true, though. It's funny, but it's true. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see or experience God. This is the highest privilege given to humanity, that we would see and experience God in this broken life. This world is so jacked up. This world is so broken and disappointing. We weren't made for this world, Rachel. We weren't made for it. But guess what? In this broken, jacked up world, we can see and experience the invisible hand of God if we choose purity of heart. Purity of heart, what is this? This is when someone, their life is pure or righteous or holy or clean in three primary areas. They have pure morals. They have pure movements or actions. Everything they do has a pure motive attached to that movement. Morals, movements or actions, and motives are all pure. What does this mean? I love the word pure A synonym for it is single, meaning one ingredient. There's one ingredient to our morals. It's the Bible, the standard of the Bible. That's the one ingredient of our morals. What does the Bible say? There's one ingredient to our movements or our actions. It's God's will. God's will. I just want to do God's will. Do you see how simple it is to be pure? You don't have five, six, seven competing motives to every action that you do. You have one motive. I just want to do your will, God. Whatever that looks like each and every day. That's what it means to have pure movements or actions. Again, pure morals before the standard of the Bible. What does the Bible say about this? I'm going to do it. What does the Bible say about marriage? I'm going to believe that and walk that out. What does the Bible say about gender? I'm going to believe that and walk that out and reinforce that. And then we have pure motives. What is the one ingredient to the person who has a pure heart in the realm of motives, it's to bring God glory. Not to bring ourselves glory, but to bring God glory. Not unto us, but unto you be glory and fame and praise and honor. Do you see how simple it is to have a pure heart? Again, it's, it's hard to cultivate, but it's so not complicated. It's one ingredient. Do you know how healthy foods have the least amount of ingredients? It's the same thing with the believer. The healthiest believers have the fewest amount of ingredients in their morals, movements, and motives. The healthiest believers have the fewest amount of ingredients, hopefully one ingredient, in their morals, in their movements, and their motives. I'll just read it from here just to reinforce it. The pure in heart diligently fight 
to guard their gates, meaning their eyes, what goes into your eyes, be careful little eyes, what you see, be careful little ears, what you hear, you guard your eyes, your ears, and your mouth, what comes out of your mouth primarily, you guard that by the help of the Holy Spirit, and you will be pure in your morals, that's related to morals. Second, they diligently seek to always and only do God's will. That's the movements and the actions. What do you want me to do? I'll do it. And third, the motives behind their actions are sincere, meaning without wax, literally. There's one ingredient. It's pure gold in their motives. Simple, pure, single ingredient to bring glory to God, to bring fame to his name and not to ourselves. I love the reinforcing scriptures here. Above all else, the primary thing you need to worry about, guard the purity of your heart. That should be Proverbs 4.23. That's my bad. Above all else, guard the gates of your heart. Guard the purity of your heart with all diligence, meaning each and every day, be careful what you see on the TV or on the computer on your phone. Be careful what goes into your ears, what you're listening to. Why should you guard your heart? Because it's the wellspring of life, meaning everything related to life starts in the heart. So if your heart is pure, your whole life is going to be so abundantly blessed. And the primary blessing we'll look at in a moment is to seek God. <laughs> Matthew 6, 22. Jesus basically says the same thing here with the analogy of the eye. He says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is single, meaning one ingredient, one direction, pure. You only look to what God thinks about every situation and what he wants you to do and to bring glory to him. If your eye is only fixed like a dove, single-eyed on him, your whole body will be full of the light of God, meaning there's one ingredient in your body. It's the light of heaven. Guys, imagine if we had one ingredient in our body because our eye is single and only looks to God, we would be full and flooded with the very light of God, which has a thousand implications. But we saw someone yesterday at the gas station, a worker behind the desk of the gas station, he asked how my day was going. He was kind, he was generous. And I saw light in his eyes. He had pure light all over him. I said, I came out to Brooke. She went in before me because I had to stay with the kids in the car. She went before me. I said, Brooke, that cashier was so kind. Like I was thinking to myself, I wonder if he's a believer. Brooke, unknown to me, before I went in, she went in. She asked him, she says, you're different. Are you a believer in Jesus? He said, of course. (laughs) So guess what? His eye was single. Therefore, his whole body was full of light. And that's at a cashier behind a gas station. (laughs) wow it's real all right let's see the promised blessing attached to this verse you worship team you can come up what's the promised blessing we would see god if we have one ingredient in our morals motives and movements what does this mean i think see is a synonym for experience yes we might have an open vision of jesus but that doesn't happen every day for most people (laughs) Purity of heart, guys, is the only pathway. I would say only pathway. Purity of heart is the only pathway to obtain a clear, unmuddied 
spiritual sight. Seeing God or experiencing God implies, what is it? A heightened awareness. A heightened awareness and understanding of God's invisible hand at work in our lives and the world around us. Seeing in God, seeing God implies a heightened awareness and understanding of God's invisible hand at work in our lives and the world around us. I want to give this caveat. Purity of heart and all these beatitudes don't earn us anything in God. Jesus paid for it all. We don't have to earn anything. We don't have to earn wages from him. But purity of heart positions us to be more sensitive and susceptible to the things of God. More sensitive and susceptible to the Holy Spirit's activity in our lives. We'll see an increase of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Dreams, visions will increase as we have a pure heart. Angelic encounters will increase as we have a pure heart. It's really worth fighting for to experience God in this broken, jacked up world. 1 John, I think that before I say that, the greatest picture of having a pure or single or clear, clean heart is your windshield. When your windshield is clean, sparkling, you can see everything on the horizon. You can see those mountains in the bottom right picture perfectly and beautifully. You can see the details when you come up close. That's what our hearts look like when they're pure. It's a clear windshield to see everything that God wants to reveal to us. Ultimately, it's up to God how and what and when he reveals himself to us, but we want to do everything we can to not miss a moment of what God is doing in the earth and what he's doing in our lives. That's what purity of heart is. So simple. Who wears glasses? It's having clean, clear, perfect, everything on your glasses, on the glass of your glasses. So you can see everything. When, there, when there's mud or smudges, it's hard to see everything clearly. That's the window of your heart. If it's clean and pure, we're going to see more and more of God's invisible hand and his activity in the world. It's so worth it. What's another verse to back this up? We can all stand to our feet now. 1 John 1.5. John says, God is light, pure light, and in him is no darkness or impurities at all. Okay, so if God is light and in him is no darkness or impurities at all, what fellowship can God as light have with darkness? Meaning, how could God reveal himself to someone with a darkened, muddied heart? He's good, so little rays of sunshine still get through that windshield because he's good and he's pursuing people. But he can reveal more and do more to a heart that is pure. So what was the verse before? It says, if your eye is single your heart is pure, your whole body will be full of light. So it means we come into full agreement with the God who is light. If he is light and we are full of light, then we will see him more. It's that simple. I want to be flooded with the very light of God to the brim so I can see everything that he's doing in Brooke's life, in my kid's life, in the people we're discipling's lives. Oh, it's so worth it. This is why it's my favorite. I love seeing God's invisible hand become manifest and real in the world. It's what I live for. It's what I live for. Hebrews 12, 14. The writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it is, but he was awesome. My favorite New Testament book. 
He said this, pursue holiness, hunger and thirst after purity of heart, without which no one will see the Lord. If we don't have purity of heart, we will not see the Lord. If we do have purity of heart, we will see the Lord. I love it. So let's respond now. How are we going to receive these beatitudes, these virtues, these character traits? Like everything, we will only go as far as our prayer life goes. So let's activate these three beatitudes by some simple prayers that you're going to repeat after me. So just as a show of hands, who wants, who sees these virtues as truth? Who, when you heard these words from Jesus, from the scriptures, you said, that's right. I want that. That's truth. That sounds good to me. I want those attached blessings. So those of you who raised your hands, repeat after me these prayers to activate these three virtues of the heart. First is hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Remember, we're going to be filled. (laughs) So repeat after me. Say, Lord, would you give me the gift of hunger for an ever-increasing measure of righteousness? Help me to never settle until I fully look and act like you. Let's move to merciful. Holy Spirit, would you bring now to mind anyone that I need to forgive and release to you? Right now, I choose to completely forgive that person. In Jesus' name. Lord, would you fill me to the brim with mercy so that I may overflow forgiveness onto everyone around me. And last, purity of heart. Who thinks it's their favorite as of now, under the first six? (laughs) I love it. It's okay. You can eat any one of the eight can be your favorite. They're all your favorite. They all get a (laughs) hundred. The little emoji, the hundred. Yes, they're all hundred. All right, purity of heart. (laughs) Repeat after me. You can go to the next slide, Liam. Lord, would you cleanse my heart of all impurities right now? Would you give me the grace to diligently fight to guard my gates from defilement and darkness. Would you give me the desire to only do your will? And finally, would you purify my motives to only be about bringing glory to your name? Amen. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon. To download the notes and slides for this message, visit our website, riverinthehills.com. If you would like to partner with us in moving God's heart and changing the world, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a review, and share this episode with a friend.